Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the Shamrock after a few weeks off. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by my co-host Matt Fortuna. Uh, today's special guest from the AP. Uh, you listened to him on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, hopefully this week, because he had Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman on his uh, insightful interview. We'll talk about that. Um, you guys are both out covering the ACC tournament. We can get a little bit of uh, hoops coverage. And obviously, we need to spend at least 25 minutes on Buddy Bayham's suspension because that is uh, you know, the, the big story in college athletics these days. But, Ralph, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Um, and I want to just jump right into your interview with, with Marcus Freeman. Um, Matt and I, have, he's been on this podcast. We've spent some time around him. I don't know how much you have. But just what were your impressions in a 15, 20-minute conversation with him as as Notre Dame's new head coach yeah you know for your listeners I don't know if I covered any new ground just because is there I mean you know the way yeah, a little bit I mean yeah. his, his talk it, when he talked about reaching out to all the former Notre Dame head coaches okay. not just the successful ones I thought that was interesting yeah so so right yeah and I say that only because again like you know this is a guy who's gotten a lot of attention so I always worry about like can I come up with anything he hasn't heard before um <laughs> I think that my initial impression was um, I've heard how confident he is. Um, I felt like there was a certain self-awareness uh, that like, yeah, I know this is going to be a little, ter- this is going to be hard. Like, I, I mean, like he didn't come out and say that, but you got the impression that he understood that like, this is a very hard job. I have been told I'm great, but you know, I understand like it's one thing to be told you're great. Like, and one thing to actually feel like you are great. So I thought that there was, again, a little bit of humbleness there for a guy who has really shot up like meteorically through the business. Um, You know, you also gain some insight off the air. Like, you know, we chatted up for maybe 15 minutes before we started recording. And, you know, it's one of these things I almost wish I asked him on the podcast. I don't think I actually did. Um, Sometimes I forget when you're recording and when you're not. (laughs) But um I think toward like when we were wrapping up, I think I said something along the lines of, you know, Marcus, if I had told you a year ago that you would be the Notre Dame coach and Luke Fickle will have made the playoff and he would still be at Cincinnati, like that isn't that a little mind blowing? And he, you know, I, I was hoping he didn't take offense to that, but he laughed about it in a way again that showed me like I got a little sense of there's some humility here and the understanding that like, yeah, this is going to be a challenge. Like, this is like, I, yeah, I think I'm up for the challenge, but like, we're going to find out, you know, we're all going to find out in real time. Yeah, I, I, I guess you would have said this already, but I'm curious to what Pete said. He mentioned reaching out to like even Charlie Weiss. Like, I, I really wonder what that conversation was like between those two characters. And from your perspective, and frankly, from mine, I thought, I think that was the first time I had heard him at least on the record detail, the play-by-play from his end of 
meeting with Jack Swarbrick, getting that call that he's getting the job that night, which we all figured it happened, but hadn't heard kind of, you know, on the record from, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. What did you learn about him from, from that interview, which I believe was your first with him um, that, that you didn't really know before? Yeah. And again, I hadn't met him, you know, last year when he came, I'll just give a little back because I have a backstory. I think it's, it's relevant last year when he came in to Notre Dame, obviously like Notre Dame made a very big deal out about getting Marcus Freeman. So I thought I should probably meet this guy and obviously pandemic and this and that, and the other thing, we never even got together on a zoom. Um, so yes, it was the first time I met him. I thought, you know, I thought it was also really interesting that, when he's detailing how, you know, like everybody else on that, like a, a lot of people, I'm, he was super surprised. Wait, Brian Kelly's going to LSU. Like, what am I going to do? And I think that was also interesting. And again, I think I found, you know, how, listen, is he being a hundred percent truthful? I think so. My sense was that in, in this position, he was that his first thought was, what is my job going to be? And not that, oh, I'm going to be the next Notre Dame coach. So his what he detailed to me is his mind did not immediately jump to if if Kelly's gone, I'm the next Notre Dame coach. His mind jumped to if Kelly's job is if Kelly is gone, should I go with him? So, I, again, I thought that was interesting for a guy who has been built up so much that he didn't immediately think that's my job. Because, again, again, shows a little bit of humility and a little bit of the idea that, like, he is a 35, at the time, 35-year-old coach that, you know, still hasn't had a lot of experience. So I think that there was some self-awareness there to realize that I don't have the Notre Dame job locked up. I might have to be the defensive coordinator at LSU or maybe something else. What about, um, I, I think that his approach to recruiting will be interesting. I mean, that's a, a clear line of demarcation between him and Brian Kelly. Um what did you make of like his sort of elevator pitch to to you about his recruiting? Um, and then also like how much that can make a difference at a place that look okay, they can't just get everybody into school here. There's a there's a self selective um, element to Notre Dame there too. So what how much upward mobility do you think he can actually create and that part of the job? Yeah. So I'll be, I'll play a little devil's advocate here. And I felt like I've needed to play. I've, I've played a little bit of this side since Freeman got hired. Cause it's super easy to be excited about this because he brings a different energy, young, handsome dude, you know, like there's all these things that make it easy to think like, Oh, it'd be fun if Marcus Freeman is a successful Notre Dame coach, not just the Notre Dame coach, but a successful Notre Dame coach. And how is this going to work out? It's an interesting story. But, you know, Notre Dame has been recruiting pretty well. And my question becomes like, well, Marcus can, you know, can take us to the next level. And I think that there probably is room at the top of that ceiling to reach. But just as you said, does Marcus Freeman now make them an Alabama, Georgia level or Ohio state level recruiting can, can his sheer personality charisma, plus of course, energy and, and sort of the, the willingness to be involved in recruiting at a level that as well as, as they recruited under Kelly, Kelly was not involved like Marcus Freeman intends to be involved. So there's room for improvement, but I would be here to say like, I, you know, he's not a magician either, right? He can't get every, I mean, you know, the, I remember hearing a great story about Kelly 
uh, one of his assistants told me like at some point he had to understand that you can't just say get the best cornerback in the country. <laughs> I could guess who that assistant is. Yeah, because right, I'm sure you've heard the story. <laughs> and I know who that cornerback is. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't just you, right. You can't. And, but that doesn't change under Marcus. Right. Like you can maybe reach for bigger, bigger stars and have a plan to try to get those players that involves me being more involved but there is still going to be a limitation and maybe that limitation is still we're only going to be somewhere between five and nine in the recruit 10 in the recruiting ranking rankings. We'll never really break through to four, four, three, two, one. Ralph, I've always gotten the sense you maybe more than, than most in the media either got Brian Kelly or had a better relationship with Brian Kelly or, or at least, um, Avoided hot takes about Brian Kelly. You've always kind of struck me as the voice of reason with with him and his Notre Dame tenure. And I, I, I use that preface to say, like, me and Peter, in the, the heat of the moment, we obviously were were shocked in real time as everything went down. From your view, from your sources, your background, your knowledge, it was already a crazy weekend with Lincoln Riley going to, uh, to USC. Um, when, when everything goes down that Monday night, what's going through your mind? What's your level of shock? Yeah, so I had been sort of finally talked off the Kelly ledge about a week or so before. And uh, I hope you don't hear my dog playing with his toy behind me. Uh, but anyway, um, he's making fun of you for might, buying into the same narrative some, we did. <laughs> there might be some growling in the back and it's just, it's just to let you know, it's just a dog. It's not like a child or something. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, so I, you know, again, so like a lot of you, I think about a week, maybe two weeks before, because I I think I had always found myself thinking, I don't think Kelly's going to stay at just retire at Notre Dame. I just, I could see another move here, probably to the NFL, because I'm not sure what college job is going to appeal to him. But I always felt like, you know, if there's, if there's interesting jobs open up, I got to be on my toes for possibly Kelly moving. And then again, having it explained by several different people, no, here's why he's ready to stay and own, you know, and cultivate this legacy. And then of course, bang, a week later, a week and a half later, the legacy's out the window. So I, I was, again, I, I, I was pretty surprised, but also at the, in the moment, but again, you step back and you go back to what you had always been. I, I felt like in some ways, the way I've heard Swarbrick and some of the Notre Dame people describe it is sort of the way I felt too, which is, you know, we're always, we were always sort of prepared for this. Like we, we never completely felt like he was a, a hundred percent in. We had never been like sort of comfortable with the idea that he was totally on board with retiring the Notre Dame coach. So that's kind of where I was with it. And like, you know, again, like shocked that it turned out to be LSU, but also, again, this goes back to having known him since his Cincinnati days. And, you know, listen, he, he's got a big ego, right? <laughs> he definitely feels like he is one of the smarter guys in the room. And I've always felt like he's, he, he usually it. is right. Yeah. You know, I feel like as from a football coach's standpoint, I yeah. always felt like he deserved it. Like I'm the person who's always, you know, when you put out those like Stu and Bruce did this week, they're top 25s. Yeah. I've been the one for years saying like, that guy's a top five coach. Look at the resume. He's never, he's had one losing season in 30 years. Like that means something like this guy can clearly coach and he's got the toughest job in the country. And he just became made Notre Dame a team, a, a program that pumps out 10 win seasons again. I think there are people who was, who were 
doubtful that that could ever happen again at Notre Dame, or at least skeptical that that could ever happen at Notre Dame. So I've always thought him to be a, a tremendous coach, but I also wondered if he ever felt truly appreciated at Notre Dame because he was never one to, as uh, you know, another friend of ours who I think you'll, you'll recognize when I say this uh, phrase, he, he never kissed a shillelagh. And he was never, you know, really loved back by the fans. And I think he also looked at it and said, listen, my resume is great. I want to win a national championship. I think I got a better chance to do it at LSU. If I get that national championship, now I'm not Saban, but I am Dabo. I am, I am at that level where people look at me as one of the all-time great coaches at, at, in college football. And I can have a better chance of getting in an LSU. I, when I would speak to Notre Dame alumni groups, they would always ask me, like, what, you know, we're Brian Kelly, is he going to leave? Like, what do you think? And I, I would always just sort of answer it as like, let me put it this way. Brian Kelly is never going to love Notre Dame as much as you do. That's yeah. it. You just have to live with that yeah. if, if you were a Notre Dame fan for the last 12 years, you know, in varying degrees. But, you know, the, the fact that it ended this way, I think for, for us, like, am I shocked he went to LSU? Yes. Most shocked about the timing because he really had saddled himself with I think this team deserves to be in the playoff. I'm never going to take another college job. Like, but at this, I mean, you know this better than we do. Like, at this point, like taking a coach at his word on anything is just like a fool's errand. Yeah, it's it's a little tough, and it's also you know again, I try to be a little less emotional about these things. Hey, man, this is just the structure that's been created now, and it is totally unhealthy in terms of everybody involved, right? Yep. Nobody should be making hundred million dollar decisions in the way college football <laughs> programs are currently hiring their coaches, right? Brian Kelly, the thing with LSU and Brian Kelly essentially was about a four day deal, five day deal. I mean, you guys might know a little better than I, as far as like the, the actual it's time, quick, yeah. you know, when sort of there's contact and it sort of ramps up. I mean, the, the Lincoln Riley thing was essentially 48 hours, maybe not even that much. Um, so, yeah, that's not a healthy way to do this thing. And so Kelly got caught up in that. And you're right. I mean, it was it was terrible timing. It was certainly a bad look. But I, I think it also speaks to the idea of like smartest guy in the room, never will love it the way we, you love Notre Dame. He's also, I think, not a guy who spends a lot of time worrying about, oh, this is going to make me look bad. That is like, I pretty yeah. accurate, I would think. Because he does, he does, he's done a zillion things that make him <laughs> look bad. And like yeah. it doesn't seem to bother him. And I think he just sort of, I mean, maybe it bothers him a little bit that he hears some criticism, but he just sort of brushes it off and says like, hey, listen, I'm very good at this job. I will, I will win you over by winning a lot of games. So, Ralph, I feel like we, we talked about this a little bit at Barclays earlier this week, but and this got me thinking with your answer to that last question. He's got a lot of that Dan Mullen, you said, smartest guy in the room, East Coast, cocky, kind of a fish out of water down in that part of the country, at least right now. And I think you had brought up the point of, like, he could have a Dan Mullen tenure where, like, he just coaches really well. He wins 10 or 11 games a couple years. But, you know, it's still awkward kind of to see him down there and you don't know what's going to happen next. I mean... Big picture, what do you see happening with Brian Kelly at LSU? Yeah, so I'll pop my own podcast, AP Top 25. <laughs> We've both been podcast. on it. It's great. <laughs> and it's several weeks weeks ago, I had Adam Rittenberg on, I, you know, probably more than a month ago. And we talked about how do the high-profile coaches fail? 
In other words, what's the route to failure for Lincoln Riley? What's the light route to failure for Brent Venables? And what's the route to failure for Brian Kelly? And I don't remember exactly what we said, but it was like the conversation. Of course, it, it goes back to recruiting. You have to recruit like, I mean, you just, the, the level of involvement in the way you have to recruit to be competitive in the SEC West is maniacal. You know, guys like Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban, you know, listen, Kirby detailed this on as, as, you know, burying Dan Mullen in the process last year, right? I don't know if he was trying to do that. It may have been inadvertent and maybe Florida beat writers were just trying to get Kirby to do it, but you have to be the number one recruiter. It's the most important thing you do. And if Brian Kelly is not willing to do that, now he has the benefit at LSU of being the lone powerhouse in a state that produces a lot of players and even LSU to a certain degree recruits itself, but to, to play at the level they want to play, they can't afford to lose. Oh, it's just a five-star here. It's just, Oh, Alabama came in and grabbed this guy from our backyard. Oh, A&M grabbed two guys from our backyard. Like, you know, the difference between the third ranked class in the country, the fifth ranked class in the country or the second ranked class in the country is the difference between beating Alabama and Georgia. And if he doesn't do that, that could be viewed as failure there. So I think it's yeah, I think to me, like, you know, the, the path to failure is he can't create a recruiting machine because he is not putting himself as the key cog in that machine that competes with. Bama, Georgia, and these other schools that just re- recruit at such a ridiculously high level down there. I mean, that was kind of one of the things like Notre Dame doesn't have a home base of talent, certainly like Louisiana, but Notre Dame did a, when there were guys up here, they, they usually stick around it in Louisiana, even though there's a great home base of talent, like you can get what five of the top 10 guys, but you really got to sign nine or 10. Um, and then, and that's where you, Brian Kelly versus Nick Saban or Kirby Smart in recruiting, like that's not a bet I would make on Brian Kelly. Um, when, when what you're selling is essentially the same as Alabama or the same as Georgia, at least at Notre Dame, what you're selling, you, it's easy to draw a distinction between what Notre Dame is and what Alabama is. And if you like one or the other, that's fine. Um, but they're they're way more similar down there than than his previous job in terms of what he was selling in recruiting. So I thought the the other thing I, we brought up in terms of like path to failure. What does it mean to manage a roster, recruits, a program where the three and out mentality is pervasive? Pretty much every kid who you bring in at LSU is thinking I'm in the NFL in three years. Now, a lot of them will be. So that roster turnover, but also that mentality of, you know, I think, listen, I, I, it's just a different, just different kids, different places, different cultures, right? I think there, there are more kids that maybe, you know, Kyle Hamilton being the exception, but I think even the best players at Notre Dame are not 100% walking onto campus thinking, I'm so out of here in three years. Right. And that because that's what you sell at Notre Dame Mm -hmm. is something of like, hey, this is a 40 year decision. Right. I mean, every everybody sort of says that, but Notre Dame to a certain degree it is. So I think, you know, this is what you get with like you guys have talked to coaches from all over the country. Again, you get different types of selling pitches and things that kids want to hear in different parts of the country. So 
you know, managing that roster that is almost all three and out mentality will be, I think, super interesting for for LSU and, and Kelly. I think that and listen, the other part of this is three national championships in 16 years at LSU with three different coaches. And at least two of them, I would absolutely take Brian Kelly over in a heartbeat. So there is like, what's the path to success? The path to success is it's LSU and they've proven that they can get it done Mm -hmm. down there. Like as long as you don't really screw it up, you can, you can squeeze out a national championship down there. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I, I think a lot of the roster management part, he's like he's such a good CEO. Like I feel like he will figure out all those parts. It's it's the day-to-day recruiting when you're 60 years old and you haven't done it at that level in quite some time that I, I wonder just how that catches up to him down the road in year three, year four, year five. I mean, I, the guy wins every game he's supposed to win, which outside of Nick Saban, I don't know if you can say that about any other coach in the country and down there. Other than when you play Nick Saban, you're supposed to win all of them. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. But, I mean, you mentioned the culture difference. I mean, I talked to people at Notre Dame, and, you know, there are some coaches who didn't go down there with him. And, like, the the line I was given was if if Coach X talked to kids down here the way he talked to kids at Notre Dame, they're either going to blows or the kids are just going to tune them out and leave practice. Like, it's just – it's completely different down there. Yeah, they receive the messages differently. And uh, the other thing I would say about winning all the games you're supposed to win, and I know Notre Dame fans will be pissed off at this, is the games you're supposed to win at LSU are often harder. Oh, yeah. Like, you're, you're supposed – now, not not all the time. Not all the time. But there are going to be years when you're, you're supposed to beat Ole Miss, but Ole Miss is really good, and they might be better than you. Like, so even some of those games you're supposed to win within that division where you have more – there's enough talent down there that on certain years, those teams will get you. What um, with Marcus Freeman, uh, I think there's an interesting dynamic. Like I've been covering Notre Dame for 22 years. I don't think I would ever describe Notre Dame as likable nationally. Um, this might be the first time where I would consider it. I mean, is that, do you think there would be a, a bit of a change in how Notre Dame is perceived based on the head coach, like young, good looking guy? It's, it's definitely a different dynamic. I think it could last. Well, listen, I think, A, he's not Brian Kelly, who, again, <laughs> like, and, and listen, and again, I, I meant to stress this. I have a pretty good relationship with BK, and I don't think he is a monster, right? Like, <laughs> But I understand that that is the perception of him in, like, people just don't like him. Yeah. If right? you don't like, know him, your they, perception of him, I think, is largely He is a perfect yeah. coach for, like, this era of Twitter where like, he's that guy everyone's just going to make fun of no matter what he does. Listen, he's also on, he's also on national TV every week and uh, with a a TV package that often has the camera directly on him all the time. Right. Like he's just like, it's just, he was put in a situation where we probably know more about him than we need to know uh, and how he may, how he uh, addresses or how he composes himself on the sideline. So I think that gives no, like simply not being Brian Kelly becomes gives Marcus Freeman's Notre Dame a little bit of a bump. Um, I don't know if anybody is charismatic and likable enough to make up for the fact that everybody hates Notre Dame. 
right? Like, like I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like who is who is like Ted, Tom Ted Lasso. And Ted Lasso, like I don't think even Ted Lasso could all of a sudden make Notre Dame uh, the the team that everybody roots for again. You know, I think they'll still be the polarizing team, uh, but I do think there's probably a little bit of an element of they'll. I think I think there will be this. I think there will be at least a little empathy for Marcus Freeman coming in the door. Like, hey, you know, like, let's give this guy a chance and see how he does. And he seems like, again, seems like a cool guy, young guy. Like, let's see what happens here, as opposed to everybody just waiting to pounce on Marcus Freeman, which also brings me up to like another you know, interesting point of that. The way this thing has in now, not just at Notre Dame, but at all major programs, you don't get any honeymoon period and you know, like how quickly will this, how quickly will the honeymoon go for Marcus Free? Like, you know, when they open against Ohio State, like, oh, we're going to have empathy. We're going to give him a little time. We understand. Oh, he's such a good guy. He's so charismatic. Oh, it's 45 7. Well, that takes care of that, Marcus. What the hell are you doing? Like, I, I, I think that like nobody's, nobody's personality can overcome the idea that you just got to win quickly nowadays and especially at a place at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, the, the likability factor is definitely there. The, the benefit of the doubt, if you will, is definitely there right now. But I, I'm with you, and I think you know, Pete and I have talked about this. I, I know the common fan and most people in the media are not going to break this down as kind of scientifically as it should be, but I really think you need to not judge him on a curve, but he's playing more top 10 teams probably in his first three years than Brian Kelly played in 12 years. I mean, this year alone at Ohio State, Clemson, USC is going to be better now. BYU could be pretty darn good. I mean, I'll tell you something. BYU is going to be very good next like, year. You got to go undefeated to make the playoff at Notre Dame, at least as long as we have this four team system, which is sticking around for a few more years. So I'll just be curious to see the, you know, if they go eight and four and they play close games or nine and three even, and they play close games against Ohio State and Clemson. What's, what's the appetite? What's the, the response going to be around the Notre Dame fan base about Marcus Freeman? Well, the interesting, I think, from my perspective is, again, and this is as much as I've been sort of a, a, a Kelly Homer, right? Like, I've been the guy who, like, pounds the drum. That, no, You're the guy, one, Ralph. That's it. Like, no, no, this guy can actually coach. Um, but I would say this. I've off the last four or five years, I think I've underestimated how well the program was humming. Like almost every year over the last couple of years, I look at it and go, well, maybe this is the year they step back and they go nine and three. And hey, listen, if you if you if you're if you're able to go nine and three, if I think you can go nine and three, that means you're one bad break away from going eight and four. Right. But they've managed, as you said, Matt, to win all the games that they're supposed to win. Even last year, pulling a few out, you know, pulling a few out. So I've been sort of waiting for that little recalibration step back year for a while from Notre Dame. Without necessarily looking to throw Kelly over the over the overboard because of it, so I'm wondering is is now the year? I probably underestimated again, like how well they have been recruiting, how well the program has been, how foundation, how good the foundation has been of the program to avoid having that little step back. That again, that nine and three year where you go, oh, okay, like this is a little bit of a rebuild year. I've been anticipating it and it hasn't happened. So maybe it's just a matter of time. And maybe Marcus is just unfortunately walking into that. Yeah. It's, I think that Matt's point, like I've written this too. It's like, I think Marcus is walking into that in the sense of like, 
oh, there are going to be three top 10 teams on the schedule. Brian Kelly probably played one, you know. So if you're going 11 and one versus nine and three, but you didn't beat any top 10 teams, like how different is that? But like BYU is a, is a better example. Like that's a game Brian Kelly would have won. Um, I think if you put, if we reinserted Brian Kelly into the Fiesta Bowl at halftime when Notre Dame was up 28-14, Notre Dame would have won that game. He would have figured out a way to muddy up the second half and they would have they would have gotten out of there. So that that's all fascinating to me. What about, um, I mean, is it, do you, you're around more national programs. Do you think it's realistic for Notre Dame to take swings at like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State? At so, all? I mean, so regardless this, of who the coach is? So this is holistically. You mean like big picture? Yeah. No, no matter who the coach is. I, you know, so I would say probably not. Um, I think that Notre Dame, uh, this, this is like, you know, to, to do it the most cliche way, like what is Notre Dame's ceiling, right? Like mm-hmm. what is Notre Dame's ceiling? I, I think Notre Dame has basically been scraping its ceiling with Kelly. The one thing I would say is I would be super interested to see what even Notre Dame with basically the ceiling it's at now. I think the how do you break through that ceiling and maybe be a little more competitive with Alabama, Ohio State? I don't know. It's Notre Dame plus a, an amazing transcendental, you know, trans an amazing quarterback, right? Transcended, he tried to say. Yes. It's, it's, it's Notre Dame with a transcendent quarterback. Like, it, like if you can get what they have had, but with like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence type player, maybe that's the team. That's the next step that, that Marcus Freeman hasn't, hasn't reached yet. Like, I don't know if it's a matter of adding another five-star linebacker or another, you know, two more four-star, uh, you know, defensive backs. I think that whatever the, 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 very top of the pyramid is for Notre Dame is to get one of these quarterbacks in here. And especially in today's, in the way today's game is, is with it's so, so much more offensive than it has been in the past. What's your off season like you're all around the country. Um, I mean, there isn't, it's kind of a trick question because there hasn't been much of an off season despite you being <laughs> at a basketball game today with me, but what, where are you going? How did you manage a carousel, a coaching carousel that, I'm not sure we've ever seen before as far as the breadth, the the overall timeline of when everything happened. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, the carousel thing is exhausting. And, you know, I'm not Bruce Feldman, right? I, I don't know every strength coach in the country and every recruiting coordinator. And, and like, listen, I, you know, I think I'm fairly well sourced. I think I, you know, I, I know enough to like be competitive in that space. Um, but I see guys like, you know, Feldman and Thamel and how quickly. And so when, so a, the competitive nature of a journalist, you want to be able to compete and at least keep up with these guys. So then you go back to what the, what the carousel has become. And as you said, it's the full season. If, if USC is hiring, is firing its coach in, in mid September, the entire length of a season is the carousel now and, and going into the off season. So it does get a little exhausting. 
as far as that's concerned, because to be like very invested in that as a reporter, I always tell myself, like, I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades reporter, like I'm not necessarily great at anything, but I kind of can do everything. That's my role at the AP to try to do a little bit of everything. Oh, there's NCAA stuff. Do that. Oh, there's NIL stuff. Do that. Oh, coaching carousel. Oh, X's and O's and teams and rankings and things along those lines. And it's fun. It's it's like the great part of the job is I get to do everything. And the bad part of the bar- job is I have to do everything. Um, so, um, you know, the carousel again, it's, it's a little exhausting. Uh, it's, it's also endlessly fascinating. Like, I just think again, especially the way it's evolved, uh, the way decisions are made. Um, and it it also gets, and this is a little philosophical, it gets me thinking more and more these days about the, the true value of a coach, like the true, like are, are, are these schools truly evaluating and, and, and valuating these coaches at the level they should be. You know, we see all the money gets thrown around. And I do wonder like how much is the coach and how much is the program and the circumstances? And are we, and, and do we think these guys are magicians? So we're paying them as such when in reality, it might have more to do with what the structure is around them. Before we let you go, you guys have a a stroll over to the Barclays Center. Uh, So Notre Dame hoops. Uh, Mike Bray has been here uh, two decades, all-time winningest coach. Um, I think for the first time in a long time, actually writing something on Notre Dame hoops for next week. But what what do you make of the job that he's done um, in a sport that I would argue is much more difficult for Notre Dame to be competitive and win at than college football? based on the nature it's like it's not three and out it's one and out um just like your your national big picture perspective on on Notre Dame hoops and the job Mike Bray has done over time so uh, you know listen I think he's got the best job in maybe in college sports right Mm -hmm. as far as the attention that's put on him and the leeway and he is given if he has a little bit of a bad year um to a certain degree you know I wonder if college hoops evolution over the last few, you know, 10 years or so where there are, there are still one and dones, but there's also other outlets for the one and dones uh, has maybe in some ways met Bray where he is because you have sort of like a few superpower teams who get these one and dones and everybody else is sort of piecing it together. And in a lot of ways, it's the teams that have a little cohesiveness can build over a couple of years, end up with a few seniors. Like, I think that's the model at Notre Dame, right? Like you may have one star player, but hopefully you're going to get it to be a little bit of an older team and we have stability here. So we're not going to fall off too far that maybe that in some ways helps a, a, a guy like Bray to, to capitalize on stability and, hey, if we can have older teams, we can make up for the fact that like maybe it'll be hard for us to compete with Duke, but we can compete with the rest of the ACC because the rest of the ACC is not really building on one and dones uh, these days. Uh, and, and some of the one and dones are going overseas now and they're going to the G League. So, Listen, I, I think he's done a remarkable job. It's, it's it, it, in insofar as the the consistency of success. Um, but I also, you know, I also find myself envying Mike Bray because I just don't know if anybody's got a better life. I don't know if anybody in college sports it, it, like can have 
you know, have a job with so much sort of almost anonymity where like, hey, like, oh, yeah, what are they doing? OK, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, great. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. And if they're not doing that well, it's like, oh, well, oh, they didn't do that well this year. By the time you realize they didn't do that well, it's too late to fire him. He's he's the perfect guy. I mean, I've heard Jack Swarbrick say like even this years ago, like my biggest you know concern isn't like who I will ever find to replace Brian Kelly because people will be lining up at the door to take the Notre Dame football job. It's who will I find to replace Mike Bray because the guy just gets it. He gets his place in the pecking order there. I mean, I've, he's gone on radio shows and I remember they beat the national title wing Duke team in 2015, have a quick turnaround, lose at Pittsburgh comes back to town and everyone's still congratulating him on the Duke win. And they have no idea they played a game more recently that they lost. Like <laughs> he, he gets it. And uh, you know, I, I, I'd be the first to say I probably counted him out after last year, after that string of four seasons, but they've got something special going this year and we'll see how far they can take it. So Pete, before how, because I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to this. How many years has Mike Bray been the coach at Notre Dame? This- 22 uh, right? is his 22 yeah he's, he was here right before i started covering them like if you went into a bar and just started asking people how long has mike bray been the coach six in football Day? coaches I, that's what you say you, you know you would get people i don't know maybe 10 years i think they'd they'd turn to him and be like mike how long have you been here because he would right. be in the bar <laughs> right like i mean the simple fact that he has been there that long and i don't think anybody really grasps the fact that he has been there that long i think is all probably you need to know about mike bray yeah, there are there are many other things that are fun facts, but that is that that sums up that's yeah. quintessential Mike Bray. It's like you've been here forever, right? Yeah, okay, cool. Let's keep this going. So, yeah. all right, well, Ralph, we've kept you long enough. We appreciate your time here on uh, Thursday morning of the the ACC tournament. You'll see Bray tonight um, as Notre Dame is in the quarterfinals against Virginia Tech uh, as they head to the NCAA tournament, most likely uh, next week. So. Ralph, again, thanks for joining us. Your perspective on Marcus Freeman, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon in person uh, down the road here in South Bend. Thanks, Pete and Matt. 